Perhaps the most common question asked about God is, why does God allow bad things to happen? One recent survey found that this question, in some form or another, is at the heart of almost every faith question or struggle individuals have. This week, we tackle that question head-on as we study the rising action of the Exodus in chapter 7 through 13, specifically the plagues the Lord sends to Egypt. If it's true that the Lord is all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present, then we can look at moments of conflict and trial as prime opportunities to learn more about who He is and who we are. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We are today studying, continuing our study. We started last week in Exodus. This week we get to continue on with the story of Moses and his people studying in chapters 7 through 13. And before we started this episode, um, Zach asked me if I had anything clever to start the episode with. And sorry, Zach, the answer is no, I don't. No clever things. So you're up. No no punny (laughs) jokes. or No punny jokes or no apologies for a pun that I didn't know about. So we'll just we'll just get started. How about that? Well, I do like this study a lot because I think it helps to answer some really painful questions. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, I want to look back a couple of chapters. Next is chapter five, when Moses and Aaron first come to Pharaoh and they tell him what's going to happen or what they want. They, uh, Pharaoh asks them, this is verse two, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And then in verse 4, he says to Moses and Aaron, Wherefore do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? Those two questions, who is the Lord, and in essence, who are you, show up a couple of other times in Scripture. So, Mosiah chapter 11, this is Abinadi in front of King Noah. And King Noah says to Abinadi in verse 27, Who is Abinadi? Well, not to Abinadi, says to his priests, Who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? Or who is the Lord that should bring upon my people such great affliction? Uh, A book later in Alma chapter 9 Alma is on a mission in Ammonihah, and the people there, after Alma calls them to repentance, ask him the same two questions. Verse 2, Who art thou? Suppose ye that we shall believe the testimony of one man, although he should preach unto us that the earth should pass away. And then verse 6, Who is God that sendeth no more authority than one man among this people to declare to them the truth of such great and marvelous things? What I notice about each of those situations is any time or that they all occur when the Lord, through a, an appointed servant or appointed servants, injects himself into a conflict, into a difficult situation, either to prevent conflict, to alleviate uh, burden, or in the case of Exodus, maybe to cause conflict that will then bring about a resolution and, and a freedom for his people. And I think those two questions show up in our own 
kind of modern vocabulary when we look at conflict and difficulties in the world. And they sound a little bit different, like uh, why would God allow this thing to happen to me or to my family or in the world? Is there really a God if something like this is going on? Or sometimes to a believer, who are you to tell me about God when this or that is going on? Uh, why do you insist on perpetuating your belief in God? All of those are, I think, a, a, just a, a modern version of those two questions. Who is the Lord and who are you? And I think that on a more personal level, I might add a couple of those questions too, is that idea of like, who am I to be going on a mission mm. and preaching about Jesus Christ? I'm, I don't feel qualified for that. Or who who am I to feel like I need to help this person in this specific way. Um, and your own personal thoughts of of who is really God f- to me in my own life and what does that mean for my family and for the, my community. Yeah, especially when we look at a world that's becoming increasingly more complex and uh, where we are increasingly more aware of conflict and difficulty. It becomes, it's, it's maybe a little bit easier when we're younger and less aware of troubling troubles in the world to ask and answer the questions of who is God and who am I. But, you know, you look at the news and see what's happening and it becomes a little bit harder to get answers to those questions or to feel comfortable with the answers to those questions. Well, and Zach, you mentioned these stories from the Book of Mormon, and I'm pretty sure I probably should go back and listen, but we wrestled with some of these same questions as we studied those mm-hmm. those stories is who is God and who are we? And, you know, I don't think that we're going to come to the answer of why bad things happen or come to really answer some of those tough questions that we mentioned at the beginning already. But I do think that coming to an understanding of these questions and this study, I think, will help us with that, um, can help us at least get started on the right track of being able to make sense for ourselves and for those close to us of what what these answers might be. Yeah. I think all of us have been either asked those questions or maybe we have asked those questions to ourselves. And what we want to do in this episode isn't to answer those necessarily. But we did notice something repeated throughout this story that will help us to identify the Lord and his work and relationship with us even in the midst of conflict or confusion. So Exodus chapter 7, before any of the plagues are announced, the Lord says to Moses, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And if you listened last week, uh, that that word Lord, of course, is an inserted word for the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah, which means the, the self-existent or the ever-present one. And so what the Lord, in essence, is saying to Moses is, I'm going to, Egypt will know not just that it's me, but they will know that I am the kind of God that is intimately involved in my children's lives. And that phrase, that they will know that I am the Lord, shows up in some way or some fashion connected to every single plague. So plague number one, the water to blood. This is verse 17 in chapter 7. Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Plague number two, the frogs, verse uh, chapter 8, verse 10. Uh, 
be it unto thee according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Uh, chapter 3, the dust turned to lice or to gnats. Uh, verse 19, the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Uh, verse 22, with the fourth plague, that, they may, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord. Uh, with the fifth plague, uh, or chapter 9, verse 14, that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Uh, and on and on, in fact, my favorite iteration of this is in chapter 12 with the final plague of, of the death of the firstborn. In every single one of these plagues, uh, there's been some great biblical research or, or scholarship done to show how each plague was a direct attack on at least one Egyptian god. For example, the ninth plague of darkness, that's supposedly the realm of the Egyptian god Ra who controls the sun. And the fact that this Hebrew god Jehovah can do something in Egypt that the magicians who supposedly have sway with Ra can't replicate or can't undo shows God's supremacy over all these Egyptian gods. So in chapter 12, verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Once again, so that all might know not just that this Hebrew God has power, but that he has power that that supersedes any other imitation that they can throw at him. And it's the kind of power that's intimately and directly focused on saving his children and leading them to a promised land. And we can back that up with Zach's research, but also our son, who is really <laughs> into right. to Greek and Egyptian and all the mythologies and knows, like, even when we were reading this story, he was like, oh, yeah, that is true. This is, this is, this God does this, and this is why this, and... Okay, that was kind of cool. Should have, we should have invited him to we be should a have, guest but, speaker on the podcast. But that, just to, I mean, there's another reference. It's just kind of a cool little yeah. insight and something that he had learned as well. So here's the question for us in this episode. What do we learn about the Lord or about ourselves in the middle of these kind of conflicts and, and troubling situations? There's a lot that can be learned. In fact, there are some things that can only be learned about the Lord or about ourselves when we're going through quote-unquote, plagues or difficulties or trials. And we want to look at just a couple of those. Well, I think the first answer, one of the answers, is that God shows in big ways with these plagues um, and with calling Moses and Aaron to help him is that God isn't forgetting his people. And so I think in exchange with that, we can say that the Lord God doesn't forget who we are as well. Um, in This is going back to last week's study, but in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Um, just to be very clear that he is not going to forget his people, um, and that he is there with us even in conflict, and I think that's important for us to remember. And on the flip side of that, um, I think it's important for us to remember that we shouldn't forget him. I mean, we know the story that this is a little bit of a spoiler, of course, but they wander in the desert for 40 years. Um, and a lot of that is because of their own mis 
command, what am I going to say? Disobedience or forgetfulness. Um, So they end up wandering um, for a long time. So the other side of that is who are we? We are people that shouldn't forget who God is and what he's done for us and to remember what he has done. Um, This does get a little tricky, though, because we don't want to start saying that if I do this, then God is going to do this. Um, there isn't a little vending machine that hands out gifts if we are obedient to some extent. Um, and when bad things happen, it's not necessarily because we forgot God or being disobedient to him. It's right. not happening. To the, the plagues are affecting Egypt. The Israelites live in Egypt, and to some degree they're protected, but not entirely. Yeah, it was probably still pretty rough for them, even with all of this craziness going on. Um so I think maybe we can't, it just is a little bit tricky, but we did, I did want to bring that up, that there, the transactional faith isn't really how God works, but he doesn't forget us. I do know that. He doesn't forget us, and he doesn't want us to forget him. Yeah, that's great because, I, as you said, in, in those moments, it's so, and I think Pharaoh provides the example of this. It's, it's uh, sometimes easier to try and, to forget God or explain away God than to believe that he's actually involved in this because believing that God's involved in the world means that we have to figure out why it is that he allows trials or difficulties, catastrophes, suffering. Um, And so the alternative to wrestling with those questions is, well, I'll just believe that God isn't there, that he's turned his back on us or that he doesn't exist. Um, But I think it's important to remember God is intimately involved. And even if we don't see the reasons why he allows certain things to happen, uh, we can trust in the fact that he loves and that he cares, that he has an eternal purpose in mind. Uh, To kind of mirror that point, uh, I I, I found interesting how um, influential, universally influential the plagues were. Uh, I noticed that when the river is turned to blood, verse 19 in chapter 7 and verse 21 both point out that there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. When the frogs come, this is chapter 8, verse 3, they are in the house and in the bedchamber and in the bed and in the ovens and in the kneading troughs. If you like frogs, this one's for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. And I then, like frogs. <laughs> and then in verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 16, uh, the dust is turned to lice. And verse 17, the lice is in man and it's in beast. And once again, it's throughout all the land of Egypt. And this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but I, I, I drew from that the fact that God's influence is pervasive he can and often does touch and reach everything. And, uh, and so it's, I know, easy to, to look at things as, as uh, coincidental, um, but to see that God's involved and intimately aware of things in our life, uh, that he's everywhere and ever-present, is powerful, even though we then have to kind of grapple with the questions of why he allows this or that. So... I I think that's a great foundational perspective of just a reality about God. Oh, that's really good. And I, I think to add to that is that idea, I, well, I guess I should just say that this is emphasized for me in that 
God uses many means. He uses many different types of um, plagues to bring about his purpose. And he kind of shows his creative power over many different parts of the earth. And I think that that's um, a way that God answers us to who God is, is that he is all powerful and he is everywhere and he is ever present. When we were wrestling with this before, trying to figure out how do we how do we express this, that God uses multiple means to achieve this outcome? Couldn't he have just done the right thing right at the beginning and had it work immediately? Uh, and I don't know if there's a good answer to that question. I think it is important to note that uh, God, even though he's all-powerful, also chooses to honor our agency. And so even though Jesus was the master teacher, he had plenty of people that were offended and turned away from him. Even though uh, the Lord is all-powerful in the Old Testament, there are plenty of people that choose not to follow or choose to turn away. And so that could be part of it. But we were talking with, how do we, how do we, what do we, what phrase do we put with this? And then we started to think of all of the times when a phrase like this shows up, like in Isaiah, that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways, or that great hymn, God moves in mysterious ways. And uh, to be humble in our acknowledgement that God has many, he has both a broader perspective of what's happening and has a wider array of tools at his command to use to affect the the outcomes that he's hoping for his children. And uh, that's uh, that's powerful, I think, to recognize and to see. Um, the one that I think captivated me the most, I noticed at the end of this, there's a there's a a, a heavy emphasis on, of course, the the miracle of the Passover. But in that miracle, I had never noticed how frequently and how emphasized the unleavened bread is. So this is chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, Thus shall ye eat it, meaning the, the Passover lamb, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. And then down in verse 15, seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. And uh, that's a prophecy before the reality shows up because a little bit later on in the experience, this is verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we all be dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their knead troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And verse 39, they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. It was interesting to me that the Lord, again, with a, with a perspective that he has and the power that he has, uh, chooses at this moment to perform this miracle and emphasizes it in preparation for the miracle by having them eat uh, unleavened bread and to prepare for a speedy and a hasteful flight. And I, I don't know all of the answers why, but one that came to me, one that resonated with me was, I constantly feel uh, the pressure of time. I feel like I'm constantly in haste or like I don't have enough time to do what it is that I want to do or even to do what it is that I feel the Lord wants me to do. And the truth that God can compensate for my human view of time or my mortal uh, 
barriers or limits to time is incredibly comforting to me. And so I wonder if, at least in part, the presence of the the leavened or unleavened bread is to remind Israel repeatedly that you are not going to have enough time to do everything that you want to do or to do uh, everything that you might feel the Lord expects of you. And that's okay because the Lord uh, compensates, adds, lifts, enables, and empowers our our efforts with whatever time we can give. He magnifies it uh, and works it to our good and the good of those around us. Well, it sounds like that is a scripture that I will be reminding you of. <laughs> Your own teaching, Zach, that I'll remind you of when you're stressed about time or... <laughs> well, that definitely is going to come back. And Sorry, going to use that one against you. <laughs> yep. um, no, but really, I think that is... Um, such a beautiful reminder for all of us when to remember that God's there um, and that he's He's at work in our lives, even in those small, small ways. Um, and I think maybe our last point today um, is maybe my favorite, I think. Um, and that is that the Lord um, works through us. He is someone who could do everything but he is someone who who needs us to help him with his work and who he wants to see improve and to see us confident and to help us see and use his power. And I love the way that this is first illustrated in um, the first plague of turning water to blood. And there's it starts in verse in chapter seven. And I won't read it all, but um the Lord tells Moses exactly what he needs to do and that the Pharaoh's heart is hardened. So here's here's what I want to happen. Um, and starting in verse 19, so the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, the canals, the ponds, and they will become blood. And then in verse 20, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. And I love that this is something that God could have just done on his own, but he didn't. He told Moses what to do, and then Moses went and got help because he needed Aaron's help too, and they they essentially did that all together. They were a team, and I think that for me, I feel like that is really who God is, is that he's invested in us enough that he wants to see our growth, and he allows us to help work miracles, great or small, um, as he inspires and helps us to to do things in our life and to help other people. Uh, this is this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but as you were talking, I was remembering um, one of my a comedy sketch from Bill Cosby. I remember from years ago where he's talking about walking through the story of Noah, and he says puts out the scenario where Noah's talking to a neighbor and the neighbor's asking Noah, what are you building? And Noah says, well, I can't tell you. And the neighbor says, well, can you give me a hint? And Noah says, how long can you tread water? Ha, ha, ha. And then fast forward a little bit, Noah's loading the animals onto the ark two by two. And God speaks from heaven and says, Noah, you've got two males there. You got to take one back. I need a male and a female. And Noah rants and says, I'm not taking one of them back. You change one of them. And God says, Noah, how long can you tread water? I always laugh at that, but I think to some degree it it's it makes me wonder, was there ever a moment where Moses goes, why don't you just do this? Lord, if you're all powerful, why don't you just 
you could change Pharaoh's heart or you could you could go and talk to him. You could appear in glory and power as you did to me and it convinced me of your power. Couldn't you do that same thing to Pharaoh? And I wonder if we ask that same question in our own lives sometimes. You know, if God really is there. Why doesn't he do this or why doesn't he do that? Or Yeah, and it makes you wonder because that similar, the situation that I read with the water, you know, them taking their staff and saying this and or reaching their hand to heaven is in the next ones that he wants them to help with each of the plagues. Yeah. So one, to, to your point of God allowing us to participate in his work for our benefit is fascinating to me. And I've noticed over the past couple of weeks, there's been a phrase that showed up repeatedly that I think indicates this. If you go all the way back to Genesis 30, when Rachel is diff, have, Jacob and Rachel are unable to get pregnant, and Rachel complains to Jacob, and Jacob, in his anger, it says in verse two, says to her, "Am I in God's stead?" He's angry about the idea that he feels like he's being put in the place of God. Well, fast forward to the end of Genesis. Now Joseph is there with his brothers, and this time in amusement, he says to his brothers, am I in the place of God? Now those are a little bit obscure. When we get to Moses, the Lord comes right out and says it. This is chapter 4, verse 16. As the Lord is explaining to Moses how Aaron is going to be his spokesman, he says, and he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even as he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And at the beginning of our study this week, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord comes right out and says it to Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. Now, of course, that is not the Lord saying, I'm replacing me with you, or I'm putting you in the position of a, a deity to Pharaoh. I think what he's saying is, I am deliberately putting you in a position where you will have to do what I would do, do it how I would do it, so that you can practice living, loving, serving, leading the way that I would, which makes sense. If God's goal for us isn't just to get to heaven, it's not just to get to a place, but to get to become a kind of person. If his goal for us is change and growth, if his goal is eternal life, which is life like God, how are we ever going to get there if we don't practice it now? And so with all of these experiences, uh, all of the the quote-unquote plagues that we may see in the world, I think it's tempting to look frustratingly at them and shake our fists at heaven and say, why doesn't God solve this? And I sometimes wonder if the answer that comes back is, I'm looking to you to be some good, to make some effort, to, to change things. Of course I could, but if I do it, you won't. And if you don't, You'll never, you never will. You'll never learn how. And so at least one truth I think we can learn in, in conflict and difficulties and trials is our uh, divinely empowered ability to cause good to happen, to do what the Lord would do and do it in the way the Lord would do it so that we can learn and grow and become like him. So hopefully some of these ideas and thoughts will help you in your study this week and help in answering this greater question of 
not only who God is and who are you, but maybe more personally, what, what does God have in store for you and how can you um, use his help in your own conflicts and in your own life? We hope that it is a great study for you this week and we look forward to studying with you again next week.